All right, welcome back, everybody. Season three. Glad you're here. We are so glad you're here. This is the Yamcast. It is. We love talking about college and young adult ministry and trying to figure out how to walk through the Bible with those folks. So we'll typically deal with culture issues mm-hmm. along that lines. My name is Erica, and I'm one of your hosts. Yeah, and I'm Chris, the other one. So thanks for joining us. We're excited. Let's go. Let's go. So, Chris, yes, season three. Here we go. What are we? What are we doing for season three? I don't know. What do you want to do? Uh, James. No, not the book of James. We've. That's, oh, I was. Oh, I was you're meaning, talking to uh, the yes, producer, James. I was talking to our producer. He doesn't know either. He doesn't really know. But for real, though. So we're walking through the book of Colossians as a church, mm-hmm. and you thought that would be a good one to do. Yeah, I've always enjoyed going through this book. Sometimes it can be. I feel like it's got a wide variety for everyone. Yep. Some things that are very meaty and yep. and very theologically complex. Absolutely. And then there's other things that are just very practical. Mm-hmm. Here's what you got to do. Um, yeah, so I feel like it's best of both worlds. Yeah, and we haven't done a New Testament book yet. No, we haven't. So that would be a nice little change of pace. Then people could stop hearing about uh, judges. The bad times. <laughs> and All the terrible things. I mean, for those that also listen to this, our young adults and possibly also go to our church. It just is a nice tie-in, and it's not right. more on their plate when they already have maybe too much. So Yeah. No, I think it's a good call. So in order to get into Colossians, we need to talk about uh, just Colossians in general, and specifically the city of Colossae, which is what we're going to spend a little time talking about. That's where, it's, that, that's where Colossians come from? I know. Weird, right? What? It's kind of like whenever I talk about that and people realize that the letters are named after right. their city. When, when, it, when I first said Ephesians was written to the people of Ephesus and people in the audience are like, Mind are blown. you kidding me? <laughs> that makes so much sense now. You know? Corinthians, Corinth. I know. So the city of Colossae is who the Colossians letter was written to. So uh, what is Colossians, first of all? Well, it is a letter. You already said that, which is important for us to know mm-hmm. because it's many different types of literature are within the Bible, and knowing what type of literature you're reading helps to better understand what you're reading, right? Right. We call it genre. Yes. You need to know the genre. Mm-hmm. So if you're reading in a psalm, for example, which is a, a song of worship of some sort, and all of a sudden you're reading about how uh, you would like all of the people to be dashed upon the rocks and have their babies eaten, you might think... Why is this in the Bible? Yeah. But then you back up a little bit and you go, oh, it's a poem about the yes. person's enemies. Not literal. And maybe it's not saying that that's really what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. It's just showing you how angry the person is that that's what they want done, which that's an incredible amount of anger. That is. If that's what you want done to your enemies. But I think we've all been to some state. You know? We might not say it out loud, but we've thought it. We've been there. Mm-hmm. So Colossians is a letter, which means, yeah, it's just a correspondence between someone to someone else. Right. Yeah. So knowing that helps us to to know that there's a reason for why it's written, and that the people are written are being written to for a purpose. So it's good to know that. Correct. So as whereas the books that we just went through, Judges and Ruth, are both historical books in the Old Testament. Their goal is to start to tell some of the history, the oral tradition of Israel, and help people to sort of ground themselves in the storyline and in the narrative. 
uh, you know, the Gospels are trying to tell us something about Jesus. Mm-hmm. And in this case, this letter is, is written from a, a church planter, and we will talk about him a little bit. Uh, his name is Paul, and this church planter is writing to a church and saying, I want you to think this way. I want you to process information this way. I want you to understand things this way. And so it'd be like if I you know, really loved a congregation nearby and I'm not their pastor, but I feel like I have some kind of say with them and I want them to know something significant, I might write a letter saying, hey, I know that you're you know, let's think of a hot button issue right now, like Corona or, you know, mm-hmm. race or something like that. I might say, hey, I saw your church flying this, you know, banner or this flag or this thing, you know, whatever mm-hmm. it is, whether it's orally racist or whether it's the other side, you know, like you might write a letter saying, hey, I just want you to process this information, think this through, and then let's let's go biblical here and think through how to think of it in the Bible. And really what Paul's doing here, even though we see it as scripture, what Paul's doing is taking scriptural ideas from the Old Testament, trying to nail them down so that this church understands what they believe and why. Mm-hmm. So instead of him just spouting off his opinions, he's saying, no, 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 this is what we believe based on what God has given us. And then because we believe this, this is what we do. Mm-hmm. So you had said that Paul wrote this letter. Yes. Is there any other dispute within the church that it could be somebody else? Uh, this one is less disputed, mostly because he's a little more forthright with who wrote this okay. one. Uh, there are other letters in the New Testament that some people think are written by Paul that aren't for sure, but this one is so Pauline that almost no one disagrees that right. this is this is a Pauline letter. But I do want to say, if you if you're not listening to the Bible Project podcast go there. They recently did a, a long series on the epistles. Did you listen to this? No. They wrote. They did a long series on how the epistles were written. And dude, it was so good. Because what they did was they kind of explained... Uh, well, I'll back up a little bit. What Tim Mackey does that's so good is he reads a lot, of, a lot of books, and then he sits down and compresses them for us and makes it really easy to understand. So whereas I fall asleep when I read those types of books, and I have to really slog through them... He'll read a 50 of them, and then he'll sit down and go, all right, here's the basic idea. Mm -hmm. And writing in the New Testament was really interesting. It wasn't usually just Paul speaking. There's a good chance there's a group of people around him, and in fact, in the letter, we're going to meet a few of those as Mm -hmm. we go through it, who might have said to a a writer, here's what I want you to write down. That person would have written the chicken scratch down, gone and actually written the whole letter itself, the process. Because it, you can't... Like, if you and I are talking right now, if someone is sitting here writing... You know, if we had a courtroom stenographer, mm-hmm. going, even then they're writing in shorthand and they're going to take it and, and make gonna, it full mm-hmm. later on. They're writing as fast as you possibly can write. Well, imagine back in the day with with a like, you hold know, on. a charcoal pencil, yeah. right, or uh, you know an ink well and a pen. This person's spouting off to you at the other end of the prison cell, and you're like, I don't have time. Like you're trying to yeah, freak out on. and get, yeah. get it down. So what they would have done is Paul might have voice something, the other people around him might have said, yeah, 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 I like that. Or, and they would have compiled the concept together, given it to this individual, this individual then written it down and then taken it, you know, in shorthand, written it, gone and then written the, the full version and then come back and said, all right, is this what you want? Which is part of the reason why sometimes the letters seem to shake up so mm. much where it's like, why did you jump from that idea to this idea that doesn't seem to make sense? And what they, what the, these multiple books that were written about, you know, writing in the first century say, well, no, what's happening with letters like Colossians is you get back the first paragraph and you go, oh, we totally forgot this part. Uh, Let's do that. And I think some of us think, 
well, that's not Holy Spirit-led. No, it absolutely is. The mm-hmm. Holy Spirit's involved in this entire process, whether it's the person writing or whether it's the people orating it or the people that are or editing, editing it. Or, it's yeah. all part of it. And then once the finished product is done, they roll it up in a scroll in papyrus or whatever, and they send it off to the people, and then they open it and read it in the church. So we break it up, and we're going to break it up in mm-hmm. lots of little sections, right? Verses one through eight of chapter yeah. one, or you know, uh, nine through fourteen, or whatever. But as we break it up in little sections, they would have just read it in one sitting, and they probably would have read it five or six times in a night, and then just talked about it, which is really cool. It makes yeah. me wish that we had more groups that just did that, where they read a whole letter and just said, "What do you see? What are you thinking? What's God teaching you?" Kind of thing. So that's letters. Mm-hmm. So. We find this in the Bible after Philippians. Yep. Where actually would this be? Talking about chronology? Yeah. So chronology is a huge debate in the New Testament regardless, because most of the books in the New Testament are written right around the same time, so the Greek is very similar. Whereas in the Old Testament, the Hebrew is so diverse. You know, if you read Exodus, it's like, bull gore you, bull bad, you die. And you're like, why is it so terse and so weird? And Mm -hmm. we clean it up to be English. And then you read later, like Zechariah, and you're like, whoa, oh, that's way different Hebrew. It, the first century Greek that we're, we're talking about between whether we're talking about Matthew or all the way to the book of Revelation is pretty much the same. So it's almost impossible to date it. And then what you do is you, you go, all right, was there a major life event that would help us to date it? And sometimes that happens. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Sometimes if a book of the New Testament mentions the temple, then you know it was written before the yeah. temple was created or, or destroyed. Or I mean. destroyed yeah. um, if you are reading about an event that might be happening, such as in Hebrews, it talks a lot about this persecution that's occurring in Rome. Well, then you go, okay, when was severe Christian persecution in the first century in Rome? And you come down to just a couple of decades, and you're like, okay, it was written in one of these two. Which one's the most likely? With Colossians, the only detail we have is in Colossians 4, he mentions he's in prison. Yeah. So then the question is, how, which prison, which imprisonment are we talking about? And I, and I say that that way because it's which prison and which imprisonment, because he's arrested multiple times in multiple places, sometimes multiple times in that yeah. same place. So in Rome, he spends at least two imprisonments that we know of. Uh, he's got the one in Caesarea. Uh, he's got one in Jerusalem, possibly a couple in Jerusalem. He's getting passed back and forth between people. So we, we don't know. So how's that for an answer? Well, I mean, not helpful at all. You're, all, you're welcome. But <laughs> you're, you're, you're welcome. Well, I will say this. One of the things we know about Paul is this. Christ, uh, when Christ dies on the cross, we know based on a lot of different dating and stuff like that, we're only dealing with a couple of different possible dates. So most have said either 27 AD, 30 AD, or 33 AD. And the reason for that is the weeks all match up for the Passover in a certain way. Uh, we can go into detail on that some other podcast if you want. But for now, those are the p- three possible dates. Well, then Paul comes to faith at some point after that. You could say within a year, maybe two years, maybe three years. And then Galatians tells us he spends about 14 years getting his story straight before he goes on the road. So if you start doing the math there, you're, you're going, all right, Paul starts his missionary journeys just before 50 AD. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And then in this book, we're going to find out that the guy who actually delivers this book or this letter to the Colossians is a guy named Epaphras or Onesimus for Epaphras. There's some debate about that, and we'll talk about it in a second. Uh, Either one of those, they learn from Paul how to share the gospel and then take it home to Colossae. 
So if that's the case, that means Paul's further along in his missionary journeys. So this is either the second or the third one. He's imprisoned after Mm -hmm. the second one and during the third one, a couple of different points. So if that's the case, now we're going, all right, we can nail this down to probably mid-50s. Because he never went to Colossae himself. We don't know that he never went, but at this point, he's never gone. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I'm saying? Yes. So he might have gotten out of jail because he says at one point in the letter, I want to come see you. So it's possible that he got out. And then went and saw them and then ended up. He does the same thing with the Romans. He's like, even though I've never met you, here's mm-hmm. what I want you to think. And then at the same time, I'm really eagerly looking forward to being with you. Well, he ends up in Rome. The question is, does he ever meet the church or does the church have to come meet him in prison? Because <laughs> he's, in prison. he's in jail. Yeah. Because he spends a lot of time in jail, which is one of the greatest things to do when you're hiring a pastor. Look for someone who's been arrested multiple times and then hire that person. As a, <laughs> that's a joke. As a pastor, I would say that if I received a resume with multiple jail sentences, I would be a little nervous about that resume. Probably. Just slightly. Yeah, just a little bit. I mean, yeah, his imprisonments are justified, but, you know. Totally. Yeah. They're better imprisonments than some other ones I've seen. You but know, yeah, they're but still, like, I was preaching Christ and they didn't like it, so they threw me in jail. Like, okay, that's legit. I'll hire you to be yeah. a pastor. But uh, likely story, likely story. (laughs) Okay, Paul. So, um, so yes, Epaphras. How do you say his name? Epaphras. Epaphras. Epaphras would be probably the 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 true Greek word. So he is. I mean, Paul's really showing us good discipleship here. Correct. Like Paul's a rock star. He. I'm. You know, we'll say that numerous times. But I mean, he converts Epaphras, and then Epaphras is actually who is believed to have gone back to Colossae yeah. to do this converting, and then he goes and finds Paul because of things that are happening mm-hmm. for Paul to write this letter, right? Yeah, so here's some of the details that we're not totally sure of. We're not sure exactly who receives this letter, and we're not exactly sure who delivers the letter. We know it's not Paul because he's in jail. Mm-hmm. He sends it with someone. The best theory I've ever heard is that the person delivering the letter is Onesimus, and Onesimus is delivering the letter with the letter to Philemon at the same time. So who is Tychicus? How do you say his name? This one's Onesimus. No. But Tychicus? Yeah. That's what I was talking about. I know the difference between Tychicus and Onesimus. But you were stumbling. I didn't know if you were trying to say Onesimus and just end up with Tychicus. Who knows? One is an O and one is a T. All of these individuals that we're going to see, and we're going to definitely when we get to chapter four, you're going to see this huge list of individuals he's talking about. Paul traveled in a pack. And I don't think people realized that. He had like a squad. Yeah. Squad goals. Oh, totally squad goals. (laughs) Mostly the squad goals were to plant churches and get arrested together. I, uh, I mean, those and are, they yeah. did it well. Good squad goals. <laughs> I mean, those squad goals were legit. But yeah, I mean, Paul has a, a posse that he's going uh, from place to place with. If you're reading through Acts, you'll find out Paul sometimes leaves some of his folks at the last city and moves to the next one and then asks for them to come join him kind of thing. So uh, Tychicus is just one of those dudes. He's hanging out with Paul. Sometimes these guys are in jail with him, whether they're arrested or not, or if they're just hanging out with him in jail. I don't know. We don't really have full details. My guess is most of the time, Paul was the one who got arrested because he was the big man on campus. Mm-hmm. So when people would come to town, they'd be like, who's here? Who's causing this ruckus? And they'd be like, well, it's Paulos. And he would, they'd be like, all right, let's arrest him. And they'd arrest Paulos. And then all of his friends would come visit him in jail and be like, what are we going to do? And Paul's like, well, we're going to pray and you're going to send this letter to this person. And you're going to do this and you're going to do this. So anyway, Epaphras at some point met Paul. 
on one of these journeys. Mm-hmm. And Epaphras spends enough time with Paul, and Paul's such a rock star, that Paul shares with him what the gospel is, how to share it, how to, how to use it, how to, you know, how to live it. And Epaphras is so overwhelmed by it, he does what we all should do. And this mm-hmm. is good for college students. Young adults, you've, you're probably living where you live. You, don't, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? College, you're not like young, going young adults else. aren't like moving from town to town yeah. unless you are. And in which case, if you understand the gospel, take it home with you. you know? Go to the people that know you and share, this is what I've learned about Jesus. This is what it's all about. So you know, college students you know, who are listening to this because you're tr- trying to escape homework or whatever— uh, Listen to it and then think about what the gospel means and then take it home over Thanksgiving or over Christmas. Spend less time talking about politics and more time just talking about here's who Jesus is. Mm -hmm. This is why it's so amazing. And so what Epaphras does is he goes home and just says, I have learned this about Jesus. You need to listen to this and and trust it. And so he starts a church and this church starts to blossom and grow. And in the middle of that, all of a sudden, one of the individuals who gets converted is a guy named Philemon. And Philemon is uber wealthy. Big, big, big house. And the reason why we know he's wealthy and has a big house is because, first of all, he has servants or slaves. That's one thing. And second, his house is actually hosting the actual church. So his house is big enough to host the, the meetings. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Most of us think of a church building as where this is, but most of the early churches didn't Within have a homes. church building. They met in homes, and the people who typically hosted the church were the people that had big enough houses to host 50 to 100 people or, or larger. So if you've got a room that big, you got some Chang Chang. Make it rain. Make it rain. Oh my gosh. So Philemon is a wealthy enough dude that he's able to hold the whole house, uh, the whole house church in his house. And one of the beautiful things about this story is this is how I think it went down. Something happens between Philemon and his slave, this guy named Onesimus, which means useful one. So it's ironic that your name is useful one. And uh, you leave town because you're angry about something that your master did or you're angry about some kind of interaction with the master. We don't exactly know what it was. We don't know if Philemon was not treating Onesimus well. We don't know if Onesimus saw something in Philemon's life that he didn't agree with. We don't know if Onesimus just was tired of slavery and wanted out. Mm -hmm. We have no idea. All we know is that in the letter, this letter and the letter to Philemon, we learn some details. They're very small details, but what happens is Onesimus runs away from Philemon and runs all the way to find Paul in jail. So some have posited maybe Onesimus gets arrested, but I, I want to, in the first century Roman world, you don't get arrested as a slave. If you're a runaway slave, mm, that, I'm chopping off someone's gonna, head. Yeah. You can't see that on the podcast, but if this was a video podcast. They'd see my head getting chopped off. Mm. Oh, Weird, right? Yeah. That took a turn. It did. So, uh, yeah, you were just killed on the spot. You didn't get a chance. So Onesimus somehow tricks people, gets into the prison, starts talking to Paul. And at some point, Onesimus gives his life to Christ. And after giving his life to Christ, my guess is he is so overwhelmed with the way he left things that he can't not go home. So in order to go home, Paul writes a letter to the church in Colossians, uh, Colossi, mm-hmm. right? To the, to the church of the Colossians in Colossae. And wants to help them think through how to live their faith out. And then he also writes a letter to Philemon. And it's possible both of those letters are, are given at the exact same time. Yeah, that would seem probable. I mean, in one of the... Because, yes, there is this whole thing with Onesimus, but really, though, Colossians is dealing with a different issue, right? Which might be the issue that Philemon and Onesimus aren't getting along about. 
you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And so what that issue is that you're, you're in, insinuating, uh, we'll talk about this a little more in the book when we get through it a little further. Uh, but the main, the main way to describe it is what we would call proto-Gnosticism. It's a big fancy word. Mm-hmm. Do you know what proto-Gnosticism is? Um, I mean, Gnostic is knowledge, right? Yes. So proto fake knowledge. I don't know. First knowledge. First knowledge. <laughs> I was like prototype. Was like the oh, yeah, that would no, be the first. Yeah, totally. Yeah, that would yeah, be like the, the first thing. Yeah. So the idea here is Gnosticism is this pursuit of some type of secret knowledge that no one else has. Mm-hmm. So it would be kind of like today, you know, some of the New Age people are like, you must pursue Nirvana and chase after this thing, and when you arrive there, you'll know everything. It'll be amazing. So Gnosticism is similar to that. Also, Gnosticism isn't a real thing. It doesn't really ever exist. The word doesn't exist until way later in history. Uh, we started using it in like the 19th century to describe the idea based on the word Gnostic. Because a lot of people I've heard want to say that this heresy that they're combating is Gnosticism. But then, yes, mm-hmm. I've heard them also say, but that wasn't actually a thing until a couple centuries later or something. Yes. So you... It, you know, the listener probably knows the word Gnostic because of something called the Gnostic Gospels. And those were found in Egypt a number of years ago. And there's a lot of weirdness in the books, you know, the Gospel of Peter and the Gospel of Timothy. And the like, there's all these weird Gospels. Uh, Gospel of Thomas is a, is a big one. And then Dan Brown used it in the Da Vinci Code to try to rebuild the entire concept of who Christ was. It's totally ridiculous and, and out there. But the idea of the Gnostics were this was a group of people who sort of separated themselves from society and said, we are chasing after secret knowledge, and we're, we're going to pursue it to the extent that we become different versions of ourselves, better versions of ourselves. Mm-hmm. And so the Gnostics basically pushed themselves out in the desert by Alexandria, Egypt, and they just wrote and wrote and wrote and created all these crazy things, and then they disappeared, and then all their stuff got buried, and the church called them heretics, and they got kicked out. So yes, Gnostics are totally a heresy a couple centuries later. However, what they're pursuing is secret knowledge. And what we notice in this letter is multiple times Paul brings up, don't chase after certain kinds of knowledge. Don't chase after this thing or this thing. And so in the middle of that, you go, all right, what's he talking about? And really, the idea of Gnostic thought comes from something that's called Platonic thought, or Plato, as most people know it, Plato or Socrates. And the idea for Plato here is, is uh, you're familiar with the cave mm-hmm. analogy? Yeah. So the idea, yeah, well, can you jump into it or do you want me to do it? I mean, yeah, it, it's this idea that these people have just lived inside this cave. I mean, you can correct me if I'm wrong. Mm-hmm. And all they know is this cave. And then when they finally are able to have light, it's like, I don't know. It, it's not, I don't, I can't. I can't think of how to describe that last bit. Great. Yeah. So what he what he describes is imagine a, pe- a bunch of people like chained together in a cave mm-hmm. and all they see is shapes on a wall, right? And the shapes on a wall are a giraffe or an elephant or, you know, they, they see this thing and all they think is that's reality. Like the shadows. You, yeah, you know what yes. I'm saying? Yeah. So those shadows that the light is casting on the wall are, that's reality to them. They know nothing else. Until one of them breaks free from the chains and turns around and realizes, oh, that's fire. And oh, those are just little cutouts surrounding the fire Mm -hmm. that are casting the shadow. But what's even crazier is if that person would climb up out of the cave and hit real light and look around and go, oh, that's what a tree looks like. Oh, that's what this... So the pursuit of of Platonic and, you know, Socratic thought and Socratic method would be we're chasing true knowledge. Everything you know is fake. We're looking for something better, which... 
totally opens up possibilities for the gospel. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Like mm-hmm. if you use it right, that that idea, if you're pursuing knowledge, that's why Paul in the Areopagus is saying, yeah, you're chasing after a thought. Let me give you a, the best thought ever. Yeah, God is really who, you, who I think he is, and Jesus is the epitome of God, and you should follow him, and he's been chasing you for all of history, and it's time for you to come to his kingdom. That's awesome. Like what a cool message. So what he's saying here is you're, ch- you're pursuing false knowledge even though you think it's it's superior knowledge. That's what Paul's going to make the argument of in this book, which again, let's say Philemon is going, yeah, I believe in Jesus, but man, I really want to worship this angel. Or yeah, I believe in Jesus, yet I'm chasing after the truest knowledge I can possibly find. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. To which Paul's going to go, no, you missed it. That you're you're off your rocker a little bit. Let's 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 pull it back. And that's kind of what's happening in this letter. So, is there actual? I mean, that's a this could be with Philemon, or is that a we have a little bit of good point? I'm making up Philemon as okay. a possibility, but I'm saying let's say. I mean, there are people within the church, obviously, that are doing that. Yes, because that's why this letter is written. Yes, but. and I'm just saying. Well, let's say that Philemon is doing something a little inappropriate. And Onesimus goes, I don't like that. Let's say that Epaphras is preaching the gospel mm-hmm. and Philemon is taking it and going the direction he wants to go with it. And then Onesimus is like, that doesn't seem right. And he runs to Paul and goes, hey, do you know what's going on? And Paul's like, oh, that's messed up. Let me let me correct that's it. Not what it's that to be. could be. It also just could be that when Onesimus gets back, Paul corrects him on the slavery issue and writes a letter to Philemon saying, hey, I really want you to consider, you know, letting Onesimus Bring be free and you know, you treat him like a useful son, which is great because it totally ties to the name. At the same time, Paul's writing to the church going, hey, Onesimus told me this. Epaphras, you're doing a great job, but you need you guys need to listen to Epaphras, and this is what you're not pursuing is mm-hmm. the secret knowledge. So, yes, I'm making up a concept with Philemon, but I'm saying someone in the church is pursuing something, and other people are starting to jump in with it as well. Yeah, it's and Paul's like, stop. Yeah. Time out. Not good. Eh. Wah, wah, wah. I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, I don't know what that We needed was. an interesting moment there, so I gave it. Thank you. You're welcome. Anything. That's that seven-minute break. Yeah. So kind of to close, right? Was there anything else that you needed to? Well, there's all kinds of things we could say, but that's good. But, I mean, just for the intro sake. I mean, one thing I want us to know before we go into this book, but even just going into any of Paul's letters, is just how well Paul does his letters. So he, obviously he's addressing an issue, Mm -hmm. but it's never just stop doing this and start doing this. It's a, this is what's true. This is what we know to be true. All of these things. I mean, and you'll see it when he, I mean, he talks about Christ and he talks about all of these things to be true. And then he's like, and then now this means this is how we live or how you can live or should live. I mean, obviously it's not, we're, yeah, it's always, this is best. Yep. So, and and within that, he is will trickle in the issue, but it's never. And I feel like what we do a lot of the time is we're just like, stop doing that and start doing this instead of, what do you know to be true, and then this is what you need to be doing instead. Exactly. Right. So I just I like how he, yeah. Obviously, also it would be a much smaller letter if he just said, stop doing this and start doing this. But well, think about it as a young adult or a college student. How effective it is when someone tells you, yeah, stop doing this. It's not. I, I've never in my life wanted to stop doing something when someone tells me stop doing it. From a child on. There's like the why. Totally. Why? It's either why or it's I'm stubborn enough to figure it out myself let me, or let me, shut up. Let me do me. 
Yeah. Yeah. So when you when you dive into this idea, what you need to do is start to think, how do I share this with people in a way that they'll grasp it so that they'll know that I'm not jumping to conclusions, but that I've, I've built a good case? And so Paul's rhetoric here is very, it's almost legal, but it's not quite legal, but it's basically saying, here's the case built against you, and here we go. Mm-hmm. And so the best way that I think about Colossians is Colossians 1 and 2 is really breaking down Here's who Christ is and why it matters. And you're going to see that mm-hmm. spelled out. So chapter one specifically is who, here's who Christ is. Chapter two is a little bit of this is why it matters. And then chapter three and four is, so then do this. And three is very specifically tying back to if Christ is this, such as the head of the church, then that means the way that we live in our household is different than the way everyone else lives in our household. And so we're going to make those connections all the way through this book together as we we dive into it. We're going to make these like all these connections there. So how is who is Christ and what has he done and why does it matter? And then how does that affect us? And then chapter four, he just puts a bunch of imperatives like do this, do this, do this, do this, do this. Mm -hmm. So it's like the last thing he says. And then he's like, Oh, and say hi to this, you know, like yeah. all these like hellos, which we usually just skip over when we're reading the book. But we'll dive into those a little bit here and go look at these some of these names and why they're important. And I think it'll be Make like, whoa, that's really cool. So, yeah. All right. Thanks guys so much for listening today. You can find us at the Yamcast on Facebook or Instagram. Yeah, we'd love it if you emailed us yamcastpod at gmail.com is where we'd love to hear from you in the meantime we'd love it if you like the podcast so so like it subscribe rate us james what kind of rating are you looking for only ratings above four and a half stars that is correct none others if it's any less than that you can go listen to another podcast we'll delete it i don't think we can no it's there forever <laughs> bye guys see ya I may have read a poo book today, so. A Winnie the Pooh, sorry, a Winnie the Pooh book!